And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit uh, uh, from the book of Joshua. Um, I love Joshua. It's really between David and Joshua for me. Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is first. Then if I had to pick, it would be Joshua and David. Um, I feel like the two of them, I love David um, because he ministers to me when I'm down, because David was down, you know? He was actually down pretty much as much as he was up. And that makes me feel good about myself because, you know, we're kind of like twinsies, you know, that we're, we're, I have down times and I have up times and that's good. But I, I love Joshua and I, and I frequently teach out of Joshua because Joshua, he, he was, his life exemplified what a life can look like when we live faithful to the word of God. I mean, I'm going to get to this in my notes, but, but I love, you know, the book of Joshua starts, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The book of Joshua starts by God giving Joshua a few commands. And if you read to the end of the book of Joshua, which I'm sure that most of you have, you realize that one of the very last things that he encourages people after him to do is to also follow those commands. That he lived a life honoring, obeying, studying, and acting out the word of God. And to me, that is, that's who I endeavor to be. You know, sometimes David speaks to me more, you know, because he's in his bedroom, you know, crying. And we've, I've been there. But I endeavor in my life to be like Joshua, somebody who lives their life according to the word. And so we're going to read from Joshua chapter one this morning. Um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, all of you have heard, you know, hundreds, possibly thousands of teachings that have come out of the book of Joshua this morning. But I feel as though this morning the Lord has given me a, a, an interesting perspective on understanding uh, what it looks like and what is the process that we must enter into in order for us to uh, experience the power that Joshua experienced. Because I love the book of Joshua because it's a, it's a book that's full of, you know, God acting out on his promises, it's a book where we get to see not just God talk about what's to come, but we get to see what it looks like when God actually intervenes in our lives. And I don't know about you, but there are some things in my life right now that I would love for God to intervene in. I'm sure that you could all put your hand up and say, in at least one area, there are things that I would love to see God intervene in. And that's what we, we read about in Joshua chapter one, in this epic amazing text that we're about to read. I mean, it, one of the greatest stories, I think, in the Bible, where God, you know, from a trumpet blast and a couple of dudes shouting, God knocks down a wall. Because our God does impossible things. He makes the impossible possible. And we read about Joshua, um, and this is kind of Joshua's really entrance into, uh, uh, into kind of ministry, I guess we could say, but into his leadership role. Uh, and Joshua had big shoes to fill, you know? I mean, we talk about Moses, and I mean, Moses was an amazing man. He was an amazing leader. He led Israel out of hundreds of years of slavery. You know, he, you know, they experienced him with the plagues, and they experienced him, you know, parting the Red Sea, and there was the manna, and there was the quail, and their shoes never wore out. I mean, that's a leader that I don't know that I would want to follow, you know? I mean, that's some pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, this wasn't just some guy who did a couple of cool things. 
this to them was, you know, Jesus. It was God in the flesh. I mean, he was their expression of God and did amazing things. And so, uh, you know, Moses at this point, we're in Joshua chapter one, but if you go to back to Deuteronomy 34, we, we see that Moses just goes up a hill someday, which was pretty common in Moses's life. We know that Moses had a lot of experiences with God up on a mountain, but this time was different because Moses went up, but he didn't come down. Uh, he went up and he died up on the mountain. And, you know, I love in Joshua chapter one, um, is that, you know, God shows up and uh, Mo, Mo, or Joshua had this amazing call to ministry. And it says this, that Moses is dead. You're up, right? I mean, that's a pretty intense call to ministry, right? Like, you know, I know you were expecting him to come down. You should stop waiting. He's dead. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's be on your way to leading these millions of people into the battle that they've been afraid to fight for the last 40 years. No big deal. You, you know, you're up. And that's where we find uh, Joshua in this, in this chapter. And one of the things that I was thinking about was, is that it's really easy to be number two, you know? It's easy to be number two because there's always somebody else who's making the decisions, you know? Or uh, let me say it like this. I mean, a little more frequently in my life with me and my dad is there's typically somebody else to blame. Because that's really what we're looking for, you know? I mean, like, it'll be when my dad and I go to a meeting, because we go to meetings frequently, and people a lot of the time ask us, uh, you know, different questions and whatnot, because I want to tell you, what we have going on here is very, uh, you know, unfamiliar to people, where there is the generations who are, you know, sitting, you know, you're sitting around people who are 18, 17, and then you're somebody who's next to you is 75. That's a rare thing in churches. And so people ask us all the time lots of questions, and they'll be like, you know, so what do you guys think about that? And my response is I typically look to my dad and I'm like, yeah, dad, what do you think about that, right? <laughs> because it's easy to be number two because, you know, there's always somebody else to push it off onto. And this is where Joshua was. And then he has this epic moment in Joshua chapter one where it's like, you, you know, he's dead. Now you're it. You're number one. And, and I, love, I love this chapter because one of the things that it reminds me of continually is that Whenever God calls us, he always equips us with what we need to succeed. Can I tell you something? You might not feel right now like God has equipped you with what you need in order to get out of your problem situation. But I tell you something, it is the character and the nature of God to give us and equip us with everything that we need in order to succeed. God will never ask you to do something that he doesn't give you an adequate response on how you're going to get victory in that area. Now, maybe it's that we aren't listening and maybe, you know, maybe it's that we haven't taken the time, but I promise you, God, I, I love the scripture and we're going to read about it. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, which simply means that he hasn't put you into this dark place without a plan in order to get you out. The Bible says he'll never let anything happen to you or, or, or happen around you that he hasn't, before you even got into the problem, made a way of escape. And so this is what we see evidence and walked out in Joshua's life is that we see God, yes, asking Joshua to fill some big shoes. Yes, asking him to do some pretty crazy things. Yes, we see God expecting a lot of Joshua, but what we're gonna see in a moment is, is that God gives him an adequate understanding on how to get the word of God off of the pages in his Bible and into action in his physical life. Because I tell you, he could have thrown a thousand Bibles at the walls of Jericho and they wouldn't have come down, 
right? I mean, like they could have, you know, put the, you know, got a giant Bible and put it on like one of those cranes, you know, and swung it. And they're not going to knock those balls. But the word of God active in the heart of a believer has enough power in order to change any situation in our lives. And so we see this in the life of Joshua is that God gives him some very specific instructions. And so let's actually, let's just take a minute and let's read here. Joshua chapter one. So this is 40 years after they've been in the desert. They finally get to their promised land. Wouldn't exactly be my idea of getting to my promised land because we realize that after 40 years of wandering, now they have to actually go to battle, right? I mean like, hey, welcome to the promised land and here's the big wall full of giants, right? This is what Joshua is about to experience. And so it says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, son of Nun, Moses' aid. So at this point, he's thinking, you know, something else is happening. Moses is dead and he's, you know, still identifying as the aid, you know? And so he's thinking, you know, Lord is going to come and tell me, you know, who are we going to pray for to raise up the next leader? Who's the, you know, he's thinking he's going to raise Moses from the dead, you know? And the Lord comes to him and says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River and into the land that I'm about to give you. You see, Moses was dead, but God's purpose was still very much alive. Can I tell you something? There are sometimes things, situations that have happened in our lives, parts of us that have died, situations that have not turned out the way we thought they were supposed to. But can I give you a little, can I prophesy into your life? Those things in your life may not have turned out the way they are. Some things in your life may have died, but I'm here to tell you something that just because those things have died, God's purpose in your life is still very much alive. That he gave you a promise about the end. And maybe you've made a couple of mistakes along the way. Maybe you, you know, zigged where you should have zagged. But I'm here to tell you something. God's promise in your life is still very much alive. And so we see this in his life. It says this, you know, I'm about, you know, get up, go across and go into the land that I'm about to give the Israel. I will give you every place where you, and, where, where, every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. You see, God gave them the territory, was given to them hundreds, thousands of years before it was given to them, but there was still a fight that they had to engage in in order to receive the promise. It's the same in our life. We've, we get promises, we get prophetic words, we get things, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come with an adequate fight that we have to in order to actually step into that thing. Can I get an amen? amen. Not, maybe not the word you want to hear this morning, you know? The promise is typically after the battle. I'm going to be preaching that next week. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. And so it says this, I will give you, you know, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon um, and, it will, and, and from the, the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it for the, to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
Now, I love this because I, I, I love reading through this chapter because I realized that, that after Joshua was given his call into ministry, because that's really what it was here, he was being called up into service, that God, alongside of it, gave him a threefold uh, call, gave him a threefold encouragement to being strong and being courageous. Be strong, be courageous. Be strong, be courageous. Be strong, be courageous. Which speaks to me that if I'm going to get into the promise of what God has for me, it's probably going to require two things from me. That I be strong and that I be courageous. Why? Because the Bible tells me this. It's simple. That, that if I'm going to reap my harvest, the only way that I'm going to reap it is if I faint not. In other words, it's telling me this, you will reap if you what? Be strong and you be courageous. That even when it doesn't look the way you think it's supposed to look, even when it doesn't sound the way you think it's supposed to sound, be strong and be courageous and you will see the reward that God has set before you. And so my question is this, is that if Joshua was able to use these very simple instructions, because this was basically the instructions that Joshua received, and from this place, he went on to do seven years of war, basically to conquer a lot of the the promised land. Uh, And these simple instructions that God gave him was enough information. It was enough of a battle plan and strategy in order for him to go seven years, I mean, aside from the battle of Ai, which was a, you know, a little stain on his record. Aside from that thing, that one battle, he went for seven years and was victorious in everything that he, literally whatever he put his hand to do, he experienced success because of literally what takes up like a, co- a third of a page in my Bible. Can I tell you something? Man, I'm telling you a lot of things this morning. There's enough power in a sentence of the word of God. Like a word, Kenneth Copeland says that, one word from God can change your life forever. And so I wanna do this this morning. I wanna break it down. What exactly did God say to Joshua? Because I think that sometimes, and I've preached the message before and I've heard it preached so many different times, and we get really stuck on this, be strong and courageous, because I think that that's important. But one of the things that I love about God is that God not only tells us how, you know, how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to be strong and you're going to be courageous. But he also gives us an understanding of what do we need to be strong and courageous about? Because God is, I mean, he's so big and he so understands that sometimes in our moments, even though we know we should be strong and courageous, he is very well aware of the fact that there are moments, maybe not many, if you're me, many, but maybe you, not so many, that where we don't necessarily feel strong and courageous. And so when we look at this, we realize there are three things actually that God told Joshua to be strong and courageous about. Because it's not just be strong and courageous, because I think sometimes when you tell somebody be strong and courageous, immediately it makes me want to be strong and courageous in my own ability. But never once does God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous in something that had to do with him. 
I mean, he was absolutely unqualified, undermanned, understaffed, underweaponed in order to accomplish what God was asking him to do. But the beauty of it was he wasn't asking him to be strong or courageous in himself in any way. God is not asking you for your talent. He's not asking you for your pedigree or your education. He's not asking for your wisdom. Because I tell you something, the, the, the word tells us simply that if it comes from the natural, it's going to end in the natural. I don't want my life to end in the natural. I don't want to have God have given me this unlimited ability to be able to access things in the spirit. And I stay limited to my own natural abilities. Thank you. Hey. I don't want that for, and honestly, I don't want that for your life because I know some of you and your natural ability. Hey, I mean, but I tell you the beauty of this scripture is simple. God is not asking Joshua to be strong or courageous in his own ability at all. And so what is he telling him to be strong and courageous in? So in verse 6 is, is, is the first thing that he says. It says this, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors. To the, to, I swore to give to the ancestors. And so the very first thing that God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous in is the promise. Be strong and courageous in the promise that I have already given to you. You see, Joshua's main objective in his ministry was to stay focused on one thing, that God promised he was going to do this. Through the generations and to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to all these different people, the promise of God was that they were going to inherit. And so when I step up to that wall, I'm not standing there on my own. I'm not fighting. I'm not strong and courageous in my own. I'm strong and I'm courageous because of the promise that God gave to these people. Because let me tell you, God is saying it just like this, that I'm going to do what I said simply because I said it. I think sometimes in our life, it would be good for us to just accept the fact that God is going to do things in our life just because he said he was going to do it. I think sometimes what we can do is we can come up with a lot of excuses about why God shouldn't do in our life what he said that he was going to do. You ever notice this, that a lot of the time we're our own worst critic? You know, that, that everybody around you, you, know, you ever have this before where somebody's like, you know, oh, you're so good. And you come up with like 10 reasons to prove to them why you're not so good, you know. And, and I think that sometimes we could do that in our life with the Lord is we could come up with so many excuses as to why God shouldn't in our life do what he promised he would do. But you see, Joshua had to do something so simple. He had to accept that the promise that God gave him was enough. It's enough. The promise that God gave you about your health, it's enough. The promise that God gave you about your husband, it's enough. The promise that God gave you about your future, it's enough. The promise that God gave you about your family, it's enough. God's promise in our life is enough, period. 
You see, this is what Joshua had to understand. He couldn't add to it and he couldn't take away from it because God's promise was his promise and his job was simple. Just believe in the promise of God. Don't try to be strong and courageous on your own. Don't try to do it on your own. Just believe the promise. Because what? The promise of God, it will make a way for you. The promise of God in itself has the power within itself to make itself come to pass. God doesn't need us to do anything at all except simply believe that the promise is true. When we believe, we give the power, we give the open door necessary for the promise to accomplish the very purpose that it was sent. All we had to do, all Joshua has to do, all I have to do is simply, can I remain strong and courageous? and the promise that God has given to me. Because the very first thing the enemy tries to do in our life, my dad has been teaching again about Mark 4, and you know, you gotta be here. I mean, his, he has so many people come up to him and say, I've never heard anybody teach this message this way before. The revelation is astounding. But one of the things that you realize from reading through Mark chapter 4 is that we see very clearly that the first thing that the enemy does when the word is given the very first thing the enemy tries to do is he tries to come and steal and snatch up the word. He tries to come and steal and snatch up the promise. Somebody prays over you, somebody, you read something in the Bible, and the very first thing the enemy tries to do is he comes to try to discredit, he comes to try to distract, or he comes to try to discourage us from believing in or stepping into what God has asked us. Because he knows if he could steal, if I could steal the promise, imagine what would happen in Joshua's life if he forgot the promise of God. I think the very same thing that happens to us in a lot of areas of our life is the courage, the strength it takes to hold on even though my bank account is empty. The courage, the strength to hold on, even though it seems like my sickness is getting worse. The courage and strength to hold on, even though it seems like my family is, is worse off now than they were six months ago. Can I hold on to the promise? And this is what God asked him, because there is an active participation. There is a participatory, is that a word? Participatory? Participatory? Tory. I'm a science major, okay? I mean, English isn't my specialty. There is a participation that we play with the promise of God. You see, the promise wasn't enough. It was the promise carried in the heart of Joshua. It was the promise carried in the heart of somebody who believed that made the promise come to pass. And so number one is the promise. We must say, stay strong and courageous in the promise. Number two is found in verse seven. It says this, be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left uh, that you may su be successful wherever you go. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Say it like you mean it, people. Say neighbor. neighbor. Say hi, neighbor. Hi. Say, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> no, just kidding. You don't have to sing to him. Say neighbor. neighbor. The power of God is in the word of God. Say the power of God is in the word of God. His word gives us access. Oh, now you're just stealing my points, people. Okay. 
His word gives us access to his power. His word is contained, his power is contained within his word. He will act in response to his word. It's one of the things I had to learn very early in my Christianity is that just because I said something didn't necessarily mean anything had to happen. Ooh, got quiet in here real fast. <laughs> Say neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? His word is his power. Because if that wasn't the case, he would have just said, Joshua, be careful to meditate on whatever you feel like. I don't know, man, like pick something today and just meditate on it and just say it enough times and it will create enough power in order for the... Nah. Nah. What his word contains his... You need something change in your life? Talk the word to it. You need something to shift in your attitude? Talk the word to it. You want something to happen in your life? Find a promise and just start talking about it. Because the word of God contains the power of God and the power of God will change any one of our situations. And so this was it. God put very significant emphasis on obeying the word of God equals winning the battles. Obeying the word, winning the battle. Obeying the word, observing to see the word in my life. When I obey the word, I will see the word be active. You know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to obey the word. You could be honest. You could say, yeah, I know. I know, you know, it's hard. We all know it. I mean, I just preached about this a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, we're talking about Peter and Jesus. And, you know, Jesus meets Peter on the shore. And Jesus wants to get in on Peter's boat. And, you know, one of the things that I would have said if I was Peter is I would have, you know, made Jesus this deal. Jesus, you fill my boat and then you could borrow it. But one of the things that's kind of annoying about God is that God always asks us to give first and get second. Will you let me use your boat? Yes, perfect. Now I'll fill it. Will you meditate on the scriptures day and night? Yes, perfect. Now I'll knock down the walls. Can you be friendly? Yes, good. Now you can have friends. You see, the word of God, it requires us to take the first step. Because if it was me and I was Joshua, I would have said, God, mm, not sure about these promises. How about you go ahead and knock down the wall and prove that this works? Then, oh, you better believe that I will read it day and night, right? <laughs> but that's not how it works with God. He says what? Meditate. He says what? Participate. There is an action that requires. There is a, the New Testament says it like this, that, that 
faith and action that, you know, you, you can't have one without the other. But when they're together, they create power faith. They create faith that actually has the ability to go out and do something. And so I see this, is that there is, an, there is, a, there is a power that is released when I simply just obey the word of God. There is a, there's something that happens when I choose to obey. That's why one of the first things I do when I'm talking to people, you know, and, and this is actually pretty, you know, pretty common in, in the sense that I hear it a lot is, is people will say to me, you know, my relationship with the Lord, it's just, it's become so difficult. It just isn't life-giving the way that it used to be. And and my very first response to people is, is did God ask you to do something and you didn't do it? But you see, sometimes we don't want to think about things that way. Well, I want to stand over here and be like, God, why aren't I blessed? I, I don't tithe. I'm not generous. I, I hate my neighbor. But I just... I can't figure out why the, it would have been like Peter, right? Peter, can I use your boat? No. And then Peter getting mad that Jesus filled somebody else's boat. But sometimes we do this. But what, there is a power that's released simply when I obey the word. So I talk to people and they say that, you know, I'm like, you know, is there something? And they're like, yeah, God asked me to do this thing and I, I didn't do it. And I tell them, leave here, go do that thing and come back and talk to me. And I tell you 9.9, I would say it's 10 out of 10, but I won't because I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. 9.9 out of 10 times that person will come back and says, wow, wow wow, I can't believe that that was all that it was. Wow, I can't believe the change that I'm feeling. Because there is power in obedience. There is power. I, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that God values obedience over really everything else. And obedience to the word of God, to observing the word of God, gave power for Joshua to experience victory. So if I want to unlock the power of God, it tells me three things. Number one, it says this, don't let this word of God depart from your lips. So what, I have to talk it. Which the question is, what, are you, what am I saying? What's, what are the words that are coming out of my mouth? How do I talk about my family? How do I talk about my spouse? How do I talk about my job? How do I talk about my finances? How do I talk about my physical body? Does it sound like the word? Is it the word or is it not the word? The second thing is meditate on it day and night, which means we have to think about it. We have to be thinking about it. We have to allow it to create pictures in our mind, which asks the question, what are we thinking about? What are you thinking about? What are the thoughts that you think about all day? Are you worried? Are you fearful? Do you get stressed out easily? Well, I would challenge you then, meditate on the word. You know the fastest fix to get out of stress is to meditate on the word? You ever have that before? Where you're really stressed out and like something happens, you put on a teaching or something and the teaching like hits you. 
or you like maybe put on the Bible audio and the Bible audio like really hits you. And all of a sudden it's like you forget about the fact that you were stressed. Why? Because there is power in being obedient to the word. When I think about the word, when I meditate on it, things begin to happen. So I talk it, I got to think it. And number three is I have, I got to do it. I got to observe. Do I do the things that the word tells me to do? You know, sometimes, even for me, like right now, I'm feeling that. Like, I just want to rip my notes up because I feel like, God, this is too easy. This is, this is frustrating how easy it is for us to see the word of God. You know, Joshua, he didn't have to go to like a six-year seminary, although there's nothing against seminaries. He didn't need a PhD. He didn't need some battle degree. He didn't need to come from the, a good family or the right thing. In fact, God, it, he literally draws nothing from him naturally. It's literally almost like God, like, you know, closed his eyes, spun around, and was like, you, yes, you. What's your name? Joshua? I'm going to use Joshua. Everybody, I'm going to use Joshua. Because there was nothing, there was no qualities, there was no quality. And sometimes we can make, we can make the promise about us. We can make the promise about all the things, all the things, oh, you know, I'm not this. If I was just this, if I could just be this, if I was just, no. Can I do, come on, don't you want to rip my notes up right now? You want to be like, oh, just shut up, man. Just let me go home. <laughs> can I simply do what the word tells me to do? Can I do it? When I want to get angry, how do I respond? When I want to be fearful, what do I say? When I want to be depressed, what do I think about? Because it matters. And the three instructions that God gave to Joshua, one of them was about his words, his thoughts, and his actions. Because those things matter. Do, does my life line up with the word of God? And the third promise that God gives to Joshua. Oh, I got so fired up. Flip the page over. In verse nine, it says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The third thing that I'm strong and courageous in is in the presence of God. You are not alone. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, when I'm not here, you are not alone. Turn to your other and say, neighbor, even though you can't see Jesus, he's still with you. You see, God didn't minimize what Joshua was going to do. He didn't tell them, tell them that, you know, because I'm going with you and my presence is going with you, you're not going to have to fight any battles, that it's going to be smooth sailing and all you have to do is just, you know, walk into there and the giants will bow down and give you the gold. And the, That's not what he says. He didn't minimize what Joshua was about to do. But he gave him a promise that said, it doesn't matter how things look. 
Doesn't matter how things seem. Doesn't matter whether what you're about to experience seems possible or impossible. It doesn't matter if it's never been done before. I will be with you. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Because you see, God's presence in our life makes up the difference. His presence in our life, when he's asking you to do that difficult thing, when he's asking you to step out, when he's asking you to to go somewhere you've never gone before. Maybe he's, I don't know what he could be asking you to do. Asking you to be loving. Asking you to be caring. Asking you to be generous. Asking you to be vulnerable. Whatever it is that he's asking you to do, his presence makes up the difference. It says this, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged, not in yourself, not in a condemnation way, not in a judgmental way. He's telling him, don't be afraid or discouraged because in those moments when you feel alone, when it seems impossible, when you're going up against that thing that you've been afraid to go up against, when you're stepping into that situation that seems impossible, you are not alone. Even though it might seem alone, even though it might feel like everybody is against you, even though it might seem like nobody cares, you are not alone. Even though it seems like you're going to lose, even though it seems like you're going to be, there's going to be so much shame heaped on you, even though it seems like you're going to be disgraced, you are not alone. We're not alone. The promise of God is simple in our life. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be strong and courageous because you are not, it doesn't seem, it doesn't matter how dark the night seems. It doesn't matter how long that you've been dealing with it. It doesn't matter how impossible the situation feels. It doesn't matter whether nobody has gotten out from underneath it. You are not alone. You are not alone. You're not fighting with your own strength. You're not relying on your own ability. You're not looking for something to come out of yourself other than the presence of God. You are not alone. God cares about us. He says that he's numbered the number of hairs on our heads, that he's seen our end and our beginning, that, that, that he's numbered our days, that we were, when we were in our mother's womb, he knit us and formed us together. Jeremiah tells us that he has plans for us and they're good plans. Why? Because you, you're not alone. You might feel alone. It might seem like you're alone. You might feel like you're fighting alone, but I tell you something, there's a God who cares about you, who's got plans for you, who's making a way for you, who's knocking walls down for you, who's killing giants for you because he cares about you. So I can be strong and courageous because I realize I'm not fighting alone. This battle that I'm facing, I'm not fighting alone. This situation that I'm in, I am not alone. Because when I partner with God, when you partner with Him, you know He wants to be your partner. You might think that there's nothing special about you. I've had those thoughts before. What's so special about me? I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm too good looking. He wants to partner with you. And the beauty when God partners with you 
is that he, oh, he fights your battles. He didn't expect Joshua to knock down the wall. He did. He didn't expect Peter to fill the boat. Jesus did. He didn't expect Daniel to shut the mouths of the lions. He did. He didn't expect David to kill Goliath. He did. He fights our battles. He's going to fight your battles. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. You know, that's why sometimes you got to laugh about things. You got to laugh in the face of the enemy because he does that. He makes us feel like, well, you're all alone. And how are you ever going to do this? I mean, you're just little old you. How are you going to make it? You are not alone. That's why you got to sometimes sit in the middle. When you're feeling depressed and you're feeling sad, you got to remind yourself, I am not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not fighting this battle alone. I'm not standing alone. God is with me. He's gone before me. He's won the battle. He died so I could live. I am not. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I am not. You are not alone. We're not alone. And so what? When he tells me to be strong and courageous, oh, when I understand that, it's easy. When situations come and go and things happen, I realize oh, I've been given everything I need in order to succeed. His presence his power, his presence, his power, and his promise. That's enough for me. Heavenly Father, Lord, our desire is that you would make us into these people. Lord, that you'd remind us in our moments of difficulty, in our moments of trial, God, that we're not alone, that you've given us your word You've given us your promise. You've given us, Lord, your presence. You've given us everything we need in order to excel, in order to move forward, in order to succeed in every area of our life. Lord, we submit ourselves to your word. Our highest desire is to be obedient to you, to your word, and to your ways. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.